0: Gotta give me time to get my shades on here. Get this, this vast machinery of communication here underway. You know, it's been laying around all day just sitting here. It's time to get this thing going. I'll put my shades on here. Tune up my Hogan twanger. Very good. Very good. That's still working. Yeah, it's all here. Yes, sir. Having trouble. You know, you ever have the problem with your teeth itching? You ever have the trouble? No? Oh, you've missed a lot. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm beginning to worry about a lot of people. I don't think they feel normal human things. Well, it's not my fault. Why don't you go consult your friendly neighborhood dentist and find out? Oh, I'm I'm talking about purely uh, (laughs) metaphysically or uh, paraphysically. Uh, You know, all those long words that these, uh, you know, these physics cuckoos use. Oh, Cooper? Hiya, Gang. <laughs> Your trouble is you're trying to be serious. I wish I could learn to be serious about life. I'd sure get ahead quicker, you know. Or I'd get ahead. Oh, that reminds me, say, since uh, since uh, you know, you just gotta you just gotta settle down and be serious. And I'm going to be serious right now. And uh, we all know that doctors, for example, are serious people, right? Okay, tonight, as part of our salute to the nutty season, which uh, reaches its very peak during the month of August, tonight is our salute to uh, the nutty season. We want to salute an eminent member of the medical fraternity who, like many members of his fraternity, are constantly engaged in experimental activities. Please bring me a little quiet. And so tonight this radio station, as it is, always has and will always be, concerned with man's state on this globe, concerned with the future of mankind, the past, the present, concerned with all the subsidiary or side issues about mankind's flubbing around here in this great fantastic cosmos, we tonight salute the nutty season. And in particular, we salute Dr. Robert Blomfield of London, England. Dr. Robert Blomfield thought soap might be a cure for the world's woes. As a result, a court Saturday ruled him guilty of, and we quote here, insulting behavior for blowing bubbles in the face of a recognized police officer. Dr. Blomfield, 29, was given a six month sentence in the Slam. And we quote him here, uh, Bubbles are so pretty and they cheer people up and they make them happy that uh, I just thought I'd cause a little happiness there. At uh, Dr. Blomfield's bubble burst in London's Piccadilly Circus, police arrested him at the foot of the famous Eros Fountain where Bloomfield said he was only trying to spread a little happiness by blowing bubbles in people's faces. I'm not going to be the first to say that this guy's flipped his cork. Not at all. I'm saying it's only part of the great nutty season. It's part of man's eternal drive, his eternal attempts to bring a little sweetness, a little light, a little beauty into the drab existence of the average walking around scratching, spitting man. Dr. Blomfield, the way of an artist has never been easy. When you spend that six months in the slam, you'll come to recognize that about the third month that'll start the reedy begin to soak in. Oh, that reminds me. Can reset that, will you, please, in there, Larry? Got this honky working in there. Oh, yes. Uh... For those of you who are regular observers of this little corner here, you know we don't like to allow man's greater achievements to pass unrecognized and unnoticed. And in this heart of the nutty season, this summer of discontent, this winter of our whoopee period, uh, we would like to salute a man whom just not too long ago we mentioned was about to, again, re-enter competition. Do you remember that old coot that was the world spitting champion? Well, I have just received a report on how he did. you remember he had his big contest there? And there were all kinds of challengers coming up. Please bring me on a little more of that sweet and listen, light music. Special report from the sporting desk at this important radio station here. George Kraft of Raleigh, Mississippi, who has won the national tobacco spitting title for the 11th consecutive time once again is our personality in our profiles in the World of Sports Series. Kraft's victory this year was dulled a bit by the fact that he achieved the distance of only 21 feet 3 inches. However, it was good enough to win. But nowhere near his official world's record of 24 feet 10 and 3 quarter inches made in earlier championship competition freestyle spitting division. And in keeping with true sportsmanship, George Kraft sportingly refers to blame his relatively short carry on atmospheric conditions, wind drift, or the fact that he is now 67 years old and possibly may have lost a little of his original spit and polish. 700 persons witnessed the contest, which was notable for at least two reasons. It demonstrated that human beings have unlimited capacity for talent. And incidentally, it was also noticed by observers on the scene, it's the only contest in the world where the winner does not get kissed by a pretty girl at the conclusion of the championship run. And so tonight, we take this occasion to salute George Kraft, 67, who proves that, man, you don't just have to stop. You can just keep right on going spitting, and the further and further, the older you get, the better you are in the spitting world. That's a great contest. I would love to cover that for ABC's Wide, Wide World of Sports. And have it sponsored by Mail Pouch. <laughs> now, think about this for a minute. Don't laugh now. Think what he did now. Now, come on now. You guys laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Ho, ho, He has achieved national recognition in one of the most difficult arts that man has yet attempted to rest out of the hard, stony soil of the soul of beauty. Twenty-one feet, I repeat, three inches. Have you ever tried to spit anything, twenty-one feet, three inches? Do you realize that his world's record is twenty-four feet, ten and three-quarters inches? Now, that's spitting, man. I mean that is really spitting. and uh these are the little folk talents which are really in essence so very difficult to to achieve eminence in because everybody does them it's the truth you know if the, how many people pole vault well I will say damn few frankly and and when you win the world's record pole vault and you're doing something that only like like maybe uh out of a 1,000 people, probably not even one person does it. Maybe .007 people out of a 1,000 pole vault. So you're really only beating maybe 74 guys when you win the world's pole vaulting championship. Do you realize how many spitters are around? I mean, all styles. There's the classical spitter or the hoik-pitui style. There's the freestyle or the between-the-teeth type. There's the uh, out-of-the-side-of-the-mouth type, or watch-out-for-your-chin division, which most uh, tobacco people belong to. And these are all guys who walk around. They spend their lifetime perfecting their art. And when old George Kraft steps up there, he is competing against, I would say, approximately in this country of 200 million people. Let's separate all the women and children right away out of that crowd. Then let's separate all the faith lucky strike smokers out of that crowd. I would say that he is conservatively competing against possibly, I would say possibly a good round two million men, all of whom have spent a good part of their life perfecting. And you know, that's one thing about tobacco spitting, friends. This is not a seasonal sport. This is not a thing where three short months of the year you get out and run around, do some push-ups, and then you jump over the bar. Not at all. Yeah, a good tobacco spitter, as a matter of fact, often works best in the snow. I knew a guy, now seriously, with one chew, with one mouthful, could print his entire name in caps on a snowdrift 15 feet away and in perfect Spencerian script. No, 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 not don't laugh. That's talent, man. You ought to try it sometime. Of course, I could... I knew other guys who could also spell their name on snowdrifts, but not spitting tobacco or something else. Uh, we'll bring that in. But however, yeah, the, the, well, now that too, you know. Terrell is not the, not to be taken lightly. As a matter of fact, the greatest spitter that I'm in, I, I know, I know friends, I know a lot of little ladies many Automatically, I know that this is eliciting calls. What is that man doing on the radio? My husband Charles and I are offended. We play Sorry, madam, we just have to look at man's achievements for what they are, and we may not always approve of them. Now, like, for example, I don't necessarily approve of shot-putting. I think you... I've done a little shot-putting in my time, and I know that it's a very undignified thing, and a person looks terrible throwing one of them BBs around. Just awful. Your stomach hangs out, and your head flies around, and you Is this Is this uh, presenting the human animal at his dignified best? No. So we've got to take the bitter with the better. Or as Jane Ace used to say, we got to take the butter with the bitter. Better but The better, with the butter. Now, I would like to say, though, that at my time, I've, I've come from a section of the country. Of course, in New York, they probably don't chew much tobacco. But I've come from a section of the country where tobacco chewing was not only a major form of self-expression, but tobacco juice spitting was a major art form. I, I can remember guys sitting uh, down at the Sinclair oil station, for example, and they had this uh, radiator over in the corner. The radiator would get real hot, see, on a long uh, winter afternoon, and they would sit there and they would they would compete against each other as to who could get the loudest, cleanest B-flat note off the radiator. Uh, of course, this is uh, operating without wind. Now, you know, there are different divisions. There's the outdoor and the indoor tobacco spitting uh, championship. You notice that he did the most difficult of all. The outdoor competition is the worst because, first of all, it's the most dangerous. Uh, well, you got to look at these things. You look at what they are. And old George, old George laid that thing out, man, 21 feet, and that was enough. 21 feet, three inches, and he just took all the medals, all the cake. And uh, I'd like to see him on the Ed Sullivan Show. And uh, I understand. Uh, now, I, I, I don't operate here as an agent in this case, but I understand that George is available for exhibition performances. You can have at your high school. And, and the kids have loved that, I'll tell you that. You know, instead of all those guys that talk about Lincoln, you know, that show up all the time, talk about patriotism and all that, can't you just see some some teacher over here, let's say at, uh, oh, let's say at, uh, oh, uh, let's say uh, Montclair State, <laughs> or Seton Hall. <laughs> or, uh, you know, any one of the schools over here, you know. Like uh, uh, like North Jersey Junior College. It's a good one, see. Now, they've been having a little trouble getting, the, you know, getting getting esprit de corps among the kids. Because, after all, education, I think, is beginning to drift slowly but very surely away from the real life that we all live. Now, as a kid, had somebody shown me how, and I mean in real serious sitting down, hard work, groveling, educational process way, how to spit between my teeth, I'd have been the happier man for today. I've never been able to do it. Never. But the greatest spitter I ever saw was Nellie Fox, the famous tobacco chewer of uh, Chicago White Sox and Houston Astro fame. As a matter of fact, they claimed that Nellie Fox, at second base, could. Now, 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 of course, this was with the wind and with an updraft. They claimed that Nellie Fox, at second base, could quite often spray a runner sliding into third, which was terrible for the other team's morale. Oh, yeah, I remember I remember Nellie. I remember Nellie Fox. He used to love to do that. See, Fox would go ranging over towards second base. You know, on the pivot play... The shortstop would scoop up the ball, Fox is running across the bag, and the runner, of course, is sliding in at the same time. Well, Fox would simultaneously catch the ball, leap up in the air to avoid the tag, lay the tag then on this guy's left ear, spray him with tobacco juice, and throw out the runner at first, all in one magnificent fluid motion. Just beautiful to see. Talk about, I mean, you talk about Nurganyav or whatever that guy's name is with the long hair, you know. This is ballet in motion. Oh, you know who he did it to one day? Are you are you laughing? He did it to one of the most innocent men in all of baseball history one day, and I actually was on hand to see it happen. Bobby Richardson. Is there ever anybody who was more was more like a clean driven snowflake in the driven snow than Bobby Richardson? He came out with more platitudes per square inch than anybody ever heard of. You know, and they always used to say, "Good, Bo- good old Bobby Richardson. Everybody loves Bobby Richardson. Good old Bobby." Well, one day, Bobby Richardson came sliding into second base, and he made the mistake of sliding into second base in a very tough ball game, and the two ball clubs were neck and neck, the White Sox and the Yankees were neck and neck, and Nellie fought with everything that was at his command. Everything at his command. And Bobby came sliding in there, and it was just fascinating to watch how Nellie parted his hair. It just went right down, you know, that clean, white, Yankee uniform. <laughs> And not only that, he tagged him out and threw out the runner at first. Richardson got up. Now, I don't want to make any false charges. I'd better not. But suffice it to say that Bobby knew some other words. Which reminds me, this is WOR, friends. (laughs) Funny how these things all tie up. And uh, we're here in New York. The fun city, and I think a little more of that soft music there might be not amiss here, Larry. And for those of you who are suffering the summer doldrums, I begin to think that life is a drag. We would like to suggest you pick up a copy of the current issue of Playboy. There you will find my most recent short story. It's an outrage. In fact, one critic says, yeah, when he read it. But that was that critic, you know. There's a lot of rotten people around in this world. But nevertheless, you will find in the current issue of Playboy magazine, the September issue, with this magnificent, psychedelic illustration that jumps right out of the page at you. Deathless words of pulsating literature about life, the way it is really lived among the dog faces. Hello, friends, this is your dog face buddy. It's in the current or the September issue, and I'm sorry I can't give you the title of the short story. Radio has not grown up yet that much. That's for next year, Gag. The slow cultural revolution is taking place at a very, very slow pace, but it's happening, friend. It's happening. Now that concludes our salute to W. Somerset Mall. Next week, we will take up the work of that eminent short story writer John O'Hara and discover what meaning, if any, there is. But that's another story. That's enough, gang. That's enough. What oh, a terrible person. I wish I was a nicer person. I just do. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I say, Shepherd, when are you going to grow up at Bieber Parks? Well, the answer is never, I'm afraid. Some got it, some ain't. Guess which has... La, da, 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 da. Oh, yes, we got to return to uh, real life here. How did I start? there? Let's, uh, let's see. Uh, so this is... Uh, da, da, da. A plus B is equal to L prime. No, that's not it. The hypothesis is equal to secant over the square root of the resonant frequency divided by pi. No, that's not it. Oh no, that was a drag even when it was it. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't funny, wasn't E is equal to M C square. No, that's not it either. <laughs> Lincoln logs, that's it. No, 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 no. Shucks, no. Confound it. That was something else again, wasn't it? What you do you do you do want to hear though about these little moments of great joy, these moments of great beauty, that uh, George, the fantastic spitter Can you imagine, though, there are not many world champions who are 67. Can you imagine how much he is lionized sitting around in front of the feed store? And, you know, it's just a natural tendency for a guy to sit, when you're sitting in front of the, you know, the hardware store, to go, Can you imagine when he does it, everybody stops? And people come from miles around just to watch him. Boing And against the wind. Well, uh, there are a lot of things that you learn that as you struggle along with life that people don't talk about. And, uh, you know, one of the things, for example, that we constantly talk about, where did we ever get the idea that America uh, has a hang-up on sex? Every writer I know thinks he's being very brave by writing a novel about, quote, a young man's awakening, burgeoning interest in sex. Every novel ever written is about that. And so, you know, I I think that a lot of things that we think are not written about are always written about. Continually. Ad infinitum, ad nausea. All the way down the line. I have never yet heard anybody write about the art and the technique and the talent of a man who has just won the world-spitting title. And you won't. The Times will not write about it. Does that mean that it didn't happen? Does that mean it ain't fit to print? Yep. (laughs) And yet, somehow, I think that a thousand years from now, when some researcher is going back over this stuff, he's going to be fascinated at the idea that in the 20th century that they had a world-spitting champion. Because they'll still be walking around doing the same thing, you know, 2,000 years from now, and they will recognize this talent. They will not recognize, say, a pole vault talents. They may not even do that. They may think that's absolutely silly 2,000 years from now, jumping over a thing, you know, with a stick. Huh? Oh, yeah, things come and go. You know, we, we, we have a tendency to do something, and we think it's natural that it's going to continue to be that way forever. Well, uh, let's, take the, uh, let's take the thing of surfboarding. I predict that within a very few short years, the surfboard craze will be about as inexplicable as the yo-yo craze. They'll have world champions. You know how they got all these world champions, and they're writing long articles about the mystique of it and all that jazz? Eh, we'll see. And I think that it's because, I think you can almost invariably say a thing will have a short lifespan if only a few people do it. That's inevitable. Everybody played baseball at one time or another when you're nine. The first thing that happens when you're two is somebody say, here, Herbie, catch. So Herbie makes his first error. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, he gets it in the teeth. What he's got, he's only got two teeth, but he's got it in the teeth. And so Herbie's made his first flub. And then, uh, you know, a couple of days later, somebody says, Her, Herbie, catch. Oh, look it, he caught it. Isn't that wonderful? How cute. Well, from that day on, and no matter whether you like baseball or not, there is an affinity to it because it is connected very closely with something that you've always done. Here, Charlie, catch. I mean, even, even uh, you know, even somebody must have even said that to little LBJ, little kid. Here, LB, catch. You know, right in the teeth. Started out life, you know, normal. And uh, I, I'm just, uh, you know, just curious about uh, this uh, surfboard thing. I think it won't last, you know. I think eventually people, it'll drift away. Now, I know a lot of surfboard nuts are saying, oh, you don't know the beauty, the fantastic, exquisite beauty of surfboarding. Oh, come on. Just last year, you were yelling at me about the exquisite beauty of water skiing. What happened to that shtick? You know? And the year before that, who knows what? But uh, we don't know. Uh, Here's an example of an art that completely has gone. Completely. The other day, I'm watching TV, see? And that's a late, 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 late movie, see? A real rotten movie. It's one of these movies, you know, they come out with with the, you know, the one that's got the Eiffel Tower on it? The lady's standing on the top of it with that big with that big flashlight and the lightnings are going out of her ears. You know, tick tick, dee, tick ticka dee. A little airplane is flying around the world and all that stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm watching this thing, and they have these titles. You can always tell old old movies because they in those days they did not they had not yet discovered that movies are about credits. The whole credit, you know, no matter who it was, it could have uh, you know big stars, Myrna Loy, William Powell. Clark Gable. They're on in little letters. Great big thing. It just says Clark Gable, Blackie. Little tiny. And he's got a. now, today, oh, you go to... You know what I do? I make it a point now. Whenever I go to a movie, I miss the first reel and a half. That means that I come to every movie I go to maybe 25 minutes late because then I miss the last credit. You know, I get there when the movie's starting. Oh, sure. How many times have you watched a movie? You know, this is a long picture of this beach. And the wind is blowing, and it says, Who shot John? Na, ta, 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 ta. And the big white letters say, Peter Sellers, ta, 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 Ursula, whoever she is, Andres, ta, 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 ta. You can tell right away that's a lousy picture. Da, 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 da. Any picture that's got Peter Sellers, Ursula Andrews, and Michael Caine in it, stay away. That's a rash maker. Oh, boy. You'll be itching under your arms the first five minutes of that clinker when it gets on. Da, da. And then if they throw Shirley McLean in on top of it, forget it. Well, you might as well go to the driving. You might as well go down to Bonds and have yourself an awful, awful, awful. You know, sit there and just suck it up and, you know, da, da, da. And 45 minutes later, on comes the big credit. Without big credit, a Wolfgang, Wolfgang production. And you can see old Wolf sitting there, see? He's one of the few guys in Hollywood that's named realistically. Got these big yellow fangs, and he's got these yellow eyes, and old Wolf is sitting there, back of his desk that's 422 feet across and shaped like the the Egyptian Great Pyramid at Giza. And he's sitting there, and that's what it's about. Actors and actresses will argue far more. Over their place in the credit department than they ever will about whether the story is any good or it makes any sense or anything. it 's the credit and so uh, in those days in those movies they they didn 't know that see they thought you made movies because you were acting, you know you wanted to act and you made a movie and uh, and so there'll be little things as blacky uh, you notice they never even it 's become so important now that the characters are not even mentioned. It does not say Peter Sellers as Dr. Schmidtlap. Nothing but just Peter herself. Nobody looks at the character. Who cares about the characters? They go to see Willie or Wally or Duda or Wiki or Rock or Tab or Fred. They don't go to see the characters at the play. And so, ultimately, the credits are very important if you're a package-minded crowd. Uh, sure, what was it, Susan Sontag? Wasn't it Susan Sontag that said, uh, Life is a maelstrom? No, 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 that wasn't Susan, no, no. Hey, Susie, how are you, baby, tonight, huh? Thinking a deep thought here for all of us? Right, okay. Uh, gee, I like deep thinkers. However, uh, oh, they're very fun. They're, they're great fun to date. Ever tried dating a Susan Sontag-type chick? Oh, oh, boy. Forget it. It's a fist fight all the way. However, uh, nevertheless, uh, this whole thing of the of the movie, I'm sitting there late at night, see, and on comes this movie, and I'm suddenly reminded of a thing it was a great big shtick when I was a little kid, and it's disappeared completely. A picture this lake, see? And you see this speedboat. And sitting in the boat is Jeffrey Lynn with a striped laser, And it goes roaring past. And you see this rope, and hanging at the end of the rope was Priscilla Lane on... Bring me up that little music there. There it comes. There, there it is. And there it is, one of the past, long gone, and completely forgotten art forms. You see a long rope at the end of the speedboat. Jeffrey Lennon sitting there with his teeth gleaming, you know, in the water, the spray going through his hair and his. Banjo playing, and you see standing there on the top of a wave with her blonde hair. You know, it's got all the plastic stuff that keeps it all sticking out the back. With the blonde hair, with the wind screaming between her ears, which wasn't hard for her. You see it as she's come whipping up. She's riding an aquaplane. Where are the aquaplanes today? In fact, they had world champion aquaplaners. Yeah, they used to tow them up over boards and they'd fly in the air and they'd do slow rolls in the air and all that. Where are the aquaplanes today? Gone. Terrible thing to realize, isn't it, gang? It's all temporary and a yard wide. But the real things that last forever are the real things that last forever. For example, now we've already discussed the art of spitting. We know that that's going to go on. But there are other arts like that. The other day, and uh, I think I must do this as a salute, a special salute here in this midsummer nuttiness time. Do you know that uh, just three days ago, a little event occurred that uh, kind of rang the bell with me? And it's a purely American thing. And uh, if you'll set up my purely American salute there, I'd like to salute something that I think is as basic as uh, tobacco juice smitten and uh, all the other basic human things. Bring it up there. Tonight, this serious radio station once again takes this opportunity to applaud another ch- achievement in the great panoply of human existence. Awed as we are always by man's infinite variety, once again, we take cognizance of the fact that you never can tell. We salute a young lady from New Jersey New Jersey that great vast creative state that lies just next to the Hudson River that great state that is constantly in a turmoil are constantly in a great maelstrom of creativity we salute that young lady in Jersey who has just been crowned Miss Cantaloupe of 1967 That's a chick I'd like to meet I tell you I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do something here you know once Oh, I'd say once every couple of months, I do a show that I frankly admit is self-indulgent. I do a show that I don't care whether you listen or not. You hear that? And I do it because I got to do it. Just, it's me, and I got to say this thing. And uh, I don't quite know how to approach it either when I find myself being completely self-indulgent, which is, we all know, a rather unattractive uh, attribute. That uh, I, I read uh, writers and they, boy, they write these long, sweaty books about sex. Well, I've never had any trouble one way or the other with it. In fact, I rather find it fun. You know? I don't find it a searing, terrible, nerve wracking, uh, awful, incredible, uh, traumatic experience. No, yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's fun, actually. I know that's going to offend a lot of you who think it's something else, but that's your hang up. That's your problem, Dad. Not mine. And so, uh, You know, I accept that as part of life, but do you know that I have never read one single essay or book about my secret vice? Nobody writes about it, and I know that there are a few of you out there who have it, too, because late at night I can see you. Late at night I have detected a few of you out in the streets looking and hunting. I've read so much about people with drug hang ups that it's coming out of my ears. I don't want to care from drug schmug. That's your hang up, you know. I've had enough of that. I am a secret. I don't know how to say it. Friends, I mainline cantaloupes. I'm telling you, I I go ape over cantaloupes. I don't know what it is about a cantaloupe. Do you know that there are some states now in the Midwest who recognize the addictive qualities of cantaloupes and that cantaloupes are illegal in certain states and you're even, yes, I'm not kidding, you're busted if you're caught carrying them around in the trunk of your car. I'm a cantaloupe nut. I don't know what it is about a cantaloupe. Even now when I think of a cantaloupe, when I think of that first of all, it's such a beautiful such a such a beautiful geometric creation. The cantaloupe is a lovely creature. Just to look at. It. It's so round. It's so so real. And when you cut into a cantaloupe, instantly the the womb is filled with this subtle Sneaky, this uh, maddening aroma. Now, I know that a lot of you are wondering, what is this? You're saying, this does not do this to me. Well, don't think because it doesn't do it to you that it doesn't do it to us poor unfortunates who years ago, for example, you know, take scotch. I, I don't, you know, I don't, scotch does nothing to me. But am I going to be so trivial enough as to say that it does nothing since it does nothing to me, therefore it does nothing to anybody? Oh, listen, the streets some nights are lined with people to whom Scotch does something too. Let's face it. When I saw a sight the other night, there is a fruit stand down in the village that stays open all night. Well, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, Larry, and I'm walking along, see, and I got the urge I had to have a cantaloupe. And you just, you smell it in the air, it's there, it's summer, it's hot, heat, all the things. You get the, when the cantaloupe crazes on you, you cannot argue, it's just there, it's there. And I'm walking along, and I see this great big container, he had this big case opened up in the front, and it said cantaloupes, summer, fine ripened cantaloupes. Well, I began to tremble, which I don't ordinarily do, you know that, I'm a pretty cool customer and I don't tremble. I found myself trembling, and I to put my hands in my pockets, because you don't want to go up to the guy with the cantaloupe, you know, you're dropping, and money, give me a cantaloupe, give me a cantaloupe. This is silly, you don't want to do that. Because you know what happens immediately when you show up in a fruit stand, and, and the guy knows that you've got the cantaloupe mark on your forehead. He quite often attempts to sell you other things, and because he knows that you've got to get the cantaloupe, you are able to walk out with a couple of coconuts and... You know, a half a dozen bunches of carrots and all this junk you don't need just to get that lousy cantaloupe. Well, I walked past, and I saw two other guys walking in the opposite direction with their pupils dilated. And I could see that the, the tremor on them. And I know what it is. It's the cantaloupe hang-up. And those who've got it have got it. And I had an experience. It can lead you to trouble. Any hang-up, I'll tell you this. We all know this. I don't, Why am I telling you any of this? You know. We're all alive. We know what life is about. We know that any hang-up will eventually lead you into trouble. It just got to. I don't care what it is, whether it's a stamp hang-up, whether it's a chick hang-up. I know one guy that quit working everything just to chase chicks. That's all he does now. Yeah, right? You know him. That's it. That's his hang-up. Uh, I know guys who uh, quit doing everything. You know, they stopped making the uh, models of the George Washington Bridge of the Erector Set. They just stopped doing everything because they wanted to drink scotch all day long. That's what they wanted to do. I know other guys who expand their consciousness 24 hours a day with LSD. They've given up everything else. They just lay there skunked. And, uh, you know, then eventually it leads to trouble. Somebody comes around for the rent, you know, and you're laying there skunked. And uh, you have not time to get the rent. So 20 minutes later, you're out, you know, scrounging. Well, I'm a kid, and I'm about... There's there's about ten things in my life that I can say offhand that I've never had enough of. And one of them, well, for example, I've never had enough lobster. I have never yet had enough lobster. I say that. Now, one time I said to myself I was going to have enough lobster. Well, I ordered one lobster, knocked it down. I ordered another lobster, knocked it down. I ordered a third lobster, knocked it down, and ran out of cash. You know, they ain't cheap. Well, so I can say, honestly, I have never yet had my lobster hang-up as swatched. I have never yet had my shrimp hang-up as swatched. I have never had enough shrimps. I'm talking about, you know, the kind that come, uh, the, the, uh, the, the very beautifully, lightly, tenderly broiled pink variety that come in the shrimp cocktail. You know, six of them gone like that. Never had enough. Well, I am about 10 or 11 when I first got the terrible cantaloupe curse on me. And I never got enough cantaloupes. Why? Because I live in a non-cantaloupe family. That's why. And some of these things, you know, if I would lived in a family where my old lady or my father was hung on cantaloupes, I'd have had cantaloupes coming out of my ears. But it so happened that the old man was hung on hamburgers. And my mother, she liked, uh, of all things, I never, to this day, don't understand it. Grapefruit juice. Did you ever find anybody who liked grapefruit juice? Or, or they're just drinking it because it's on a diet? That's like I've never known anyone who was hung on jello. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or bread pudding. You know, I never had some, boy, I can hardly wait to get some bread pudding tonight. Oh boy, never. Well, I got hung on this cantaloupe stick. And there were about two or three of us. Uh, Schwartz was another cantaloupe kid. We got the cantaloupe thing, and we had all around us, out in the country, which was like ten minutes from our house. We'd get on the bikes, and you'd ride out, and you could smell at this time of the year. Have you ever been where fields ripened cantaloupes are ripening? It, it's enough to make you drunk. Just the just the just the aroma. Now I'm not I'm not being funny. If you're living in a truck farm area, the smell of cantaloupes is one of the great, maddening, delicious, heady scents of all time. We had about three of them. As I said, we had great truck farms all in our area there, and they were operated by Dutch farmers, all kinds of Dutchmen. And in the springtime, uh, when the when the uh, spring oh boy I'll never forget this smell in the springtime. When the spring celery was coming up, you couldn't stand going through the neighborhood. Have you ever smelled a celery field? Oh, well, you know how really good soup smells? You know that smell of good vegetable soup? Well, if you can imagine this multiplied by 100,000 times on a soft summer day, you can't stand it. You really can't. Well, there was that smell. And then there was the smell of the lilac bushes. That was something else. That was pure aesthetic. But then would come the fall, and you would smell. It would begin to creep in the town. It would come sneaking down the alleys. It would come drifting in through the bedroom window at 3 o'clock in the morning when you're trying to sleep. You'd smell the cantaloupe fields out there in the darkness, ripe and rich. Have you ever seen a cantaloupe flower? Have you ever seen a cantaloupe flower? Well, a cantaloupe flower is a beautiful flower, and out of that flower comes this magnificent creation of nature. We didn't call them cantaloupes. We called them muskmelons out there, muskmelons. Now, do you see why they call them musk? Because of that wild, fantastic, heady. Uh, it, is, it is the kind of aroma, and you know that they had a... a, a, a it was kind of a, a folk legend out there that certain kinds of animals would get so skunked out on the smell of the cantaloupes during the cantaloupe season that you could walk right up to them and just pick them up. And and many times, yes, at this time of the year, you would see rabbits just sitting in the middle of a cantaloupe field bagged out of their skull, just sitting there with their eyeballs crossed. And once in a while you'd hear one of them go, oh, wow. And you could walk right up and pick them up. Well, one night, me and Schwartz and Flick crept out into the darkness, in the heat and the smell, that cantaloupe smell drifting in. It's 10 o'clock at night, and Schwartz said to me, let's get some cantaloupes. And Flick says, yeah. And I said, man, let's go. We got on our bikes, and we rode out. And we got off our bikes next to that dark field and crawled in on our hands and knees amid all those magnificent, beautiful, golden, heady muskmelons until your eyes were sweating with the smell of it all. And we began to scoff muskmelons in the dark, chopping them up, scoffing them. And we, I must have knocked down about three when all of a sudden this voice from over the next hill came booming out along with the sound of a big blue tick hound baiting at the moon. Ow! Who's down there in the muskmelons? It was the Dutch farmer. He didn't even wait for an answer, it was a purely rhetorical question. The next move was kapow! He let go with his Sears Roebuck 12 gauge over and under, and Schwartz and Flick and me at Brunner are laying there amid the cantaloupe flowers with the screaming sound of number six shot whistling overhead. It was the first time that I was ever shot at in anchor. But it didn't stop me. The madness was on me. And I will tell you the rest of this story because it has an interesting postscript. I will tell you the rest of this story if you're good. If you're nice. But, oh, the smell of the muskmelons in the middle of August once having smelled, is never forgotten. It goes deep in the soul of man.